Welcome to the Building Laborers Podcast. This podcast exists to mobilize and equip the saints to labor for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We trust and pray that the following content will encourage you to love Jesus and to labor for His glory. So we're going to be looking tonight primarily at what does it mean to abide in Christ? Okay, we're going to look at mostly John 15 verses 4 and 5, but we'll be referencing all the way up to verse 11. And so let me just read John chapter 15, 4 through 11 for us. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and uh, thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, let me, let me pray before we unpack God's Word. Father, we pray that tonight that we would see King Jesus high and lifted up, that we would see the importance of abiding with Christ for the rest of our lives. I pray that the men and women in this room would leave tonight with a newfound conviction or maybe for the first time realizing how important it is to abide in Christ and that they would make it a priority. Father, that one day when the men and women in this room have families, Father, that their top priority would be to abide with Jesus. So God, we we know that only you can do that, Father. We know that only you can produce the fruit. Only you can grow people into the image of Christ. And so we pray that we would you would do that as we expound upon your word tonight. We pray that you would help us to listen well, Father, to take notes, Father, and to um, God just on all, just to give our full attention to your word because you're worthy, Father. I am nobody, Father. I pray that you would help me to just get out of the way, Father, and that the attention would all be on Jesus and on His word. So Christ, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Whoopsie. I'm bad at slides. So if at any point you're like, maybe there should be a next slide, just be like, Aaron, maybe there should be another slide. So there was the verses. Okay. All right. There's our son. This is Oliver. I said I would show you to him. That's Oliver. On the left, that's at the UIS baseball game. Uh, that was right after Austin caught over here. He plays baseball. U.S. the best fly ball Oliver has ever seen. And <laughs> Oliver would not, he just wouldn't stop talking about it. I mean, he only says like dad, dad in truck, but he was just like, that catch was amazing, Dad. And so, uh, just kidding. And then that's him doing his real favorite activity. It wasn't UIS baseball, it's eating. Um, and so that's him doing his favorite activity. Uh, but that's our son, Oliver. But Oliver didn't always used to look like this, okay? This is what Oliver used to look like, like that, okay? That's what he looked like. Do you see this, the resemblance? I can't at all, okay? It just looks like a baby. If you would just put any ultrasound up there, I'd be like, yep, that's my son, okay? I would have no idea, except that it has his name on it, and that's about it, uh, or Alana's name on it. But this is him. Me and Alana frequently talk about how crazy it is that at one point he was in her stomach, 
uh, because it just he's just huge now, right? He's just literally like half her height already. She's only like five two, and so uh, we're just like can't believe that at one point Oliver fit in her womb. But as as I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about babies in the womb, it's kind of incredible because they are literally dependent upon their mother for life, but they don't do anything. Like, and Oliver barely does anything now, right? But back then, he really didn't do anything. All he did, the only way he lived, was because he was attached to Alana. He was attached to Alana. His life source was Alana in the womb. If he was not attached to Alana in the womb, if the umbilical cord would have broke or there would have been some kind of thing like that, he wouldn't have been able to grow. He wouldn't have been able to develop. In, in all reality, he probably would have died. But because he was attached to his mother, he lived. And in a much similar, more important way, Christ is our life source, is what the scriptures teach. Jesus Christ is what gives Christians life. And if we are not attached to him, if we do not abide in him, we can't grow. We can't develop. And ultimately, if we're really not attached to him, we will die. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to try to, I'm going to try to convince you that abiding in Christ is essential to life. That abiding in Christ is essential to life. And the way we're going to do that is we are going to look at two requirements to grow in your walk with God. Okay, two requirements to grow in your walk with God. This is what I love about Christianity. These guys know it because they come to my house for Bible study. I say this all the time. My favorite thing about Christianity is it's honestly pretty simple. Okay, and I love that because I'm a simple guy and I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay, Um, yes, there's plenty of things in scripture that's like, hey, that's a little complicated. But what we need to know is pretty simple. And I really believe there's only two things, two requirements to grow spiritually. And here's the first one. Jesus must abide in me. Jesus must abide in me. And I I use me, I, all throughout this because I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to you guys. I need this reminder, and I've been convicted as I've been preparing for this. Um, And so this is for me as well, not just you. But Jesus must abide in me. Look at me again at verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. In the first four verses, verses four through seven, the word abide shows up seven times. Okay. And some couple other times throughout the passage as well. But in verses four through seven, the word abide shows up seven times. In the Bible, anytime a word repeats itself a lot, it's trying to emphasize importance. Okay, back then they didn't have exclamation points or emojis or anything like that. Okay, and so the way that they emphasized importance was by repeating themselves. For example, in John 3, 3, Jesus said, Truly, truly, uh, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus didn't stutter, right? He didn't just accidentally say truly twice. That's kind of what I thought when I first started reading the Bible. I was like, why did he do that? Or it was like a typo. No, he, he was trying to get their attention. He was trying to say, this is important. And what he, was, he was talking to Nicodemus. A lot of you are probably familiar with John chapter 3. And he was telling him about how to get into heaven. That's really important. That's like the most important thing you could know is how do I know if I'm going to get into heaven? And so he said, truly, truly, like, listen up. In, this, in these four verses, Jesus says, abide seven times. What do you think Jesus is trying to get across to us that's important? To abide. To abide. 
right? Again, I, I'm going to do stuff like that, okay? So just feel free to shout out, okay? To abide. It's clearly what he's getting after here. So what does it mean? What does it mean to abide? The original Greek word, can't pronounce it, won't even try. Okay, what it means is to remain in, but really another translation that I really like that just kind of helps me picture it, it means to make my home in. What it means to abide is to make your home in, right? Like where do I abide? It's where I live. It's where I go to for comfort. It's where I go to for rest. It's where I've made my home. That's where I abide. And in verses four and five, Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him. Okay, so in a second, we're gonna talk about what does it look like for us to abide in Christ. But before we get there, before that's even possible, we have to make sure that Christ abides in us. Okay, so he says, I in, or whoever abides in me and I in him. And so the question we're gonna ask tonight is how do we know if Christ really abides in me? How do I know? How do I know for sure that Christ really abides in me? Because if he doesn't, you can't grow spiritually. It's literally not possible. It's one of the two requirements. Okay, so how do we know? And we're gonna look at three tests. Okay, three tests to know if you, if Christ abides in you. And the first one is this, and this should all be on your outline. I remembered the slide. There it is. First one. I've acknowledged that I have sinned against God and deserved death. So by test, I mean if we get done with all three of these and I explain them and you're like, yeah, I agree with all of that. I believe all of that. Then Christ more than likely probably does abide in you. Uh, and if he doesn't or you're questioning that, feel free to talk to me or my wife after this. Nothing is more important to us than to know for sure that Christ abides in you guys. But the first test is this, that I've acknowledged that I have sinned against God and deserve death. Look at verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, so as we're gonna see as tonight progresses, the branches that do abide in Christ, they grow and they flourish and they, uh, and they bear fruit, but those who do not have Christ abiding in them, the branches that are not attached to the vine, this verse says will be thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, that, again, that's pretty strong language, but I think Jesus is trying to really get our attention here. Okay, so what does he mean by that? What does he mean? Well, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden all the way back in Genesis chapter three, mankind has been cursed by sin. Okay, so everybody wanna like keep your thumb there or whatever you wanna do, but we're gonna flip over to Ephesians two for a little bit. Ephesians two, starting in verse one. says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so we can spend all, we spend all of tonight unpacking that passage. Okay, but we're not. I'm just going to give you the kind of the summary. What is this? What is this passage teaching us? Okay, first of all, that we have all sinned against God. Another verse for that is Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person, every one of us, have sinned against God. 
Okay? I don't have to ask you to do this because I, I know what the result would be if I said, who thinks they've never sinned before in their whole life? I've done this a long time. No one's ever raised their hand. Right? Or if they did, they'd be lying and they just sinned for the first time right there. Okay? And so everyone has sinned against a holy God. It's also teaching us that there's a penalty for our sin and that penalty is death. Romans 6.23, the first half says, for the wages of sin is death. In short, uh, by the end of the summer, I promise you this, if you come for all eight weeks, Romans 6.23 will literally be ingrained in the back of your brain. Okay, so but we'll get to it later more in depth. It's like literally by far my favorite verse in the Bible. I've said this a lot. If I could only take one verse and I was stranded on an island forever, it would be Romans 6.23. Okay, but the first half of it says, for the wages of sin is death, which means what we have earned because we have sinned against God is death. And not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. We actually deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell because we've sinned against God. That's what we deserve because of our sin. And then third, this passage teaches us that everyone is born spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. The reason I highlight that one is, is because I always ask the question to people, what can a dead person do? What do you guys think a dead person can do? Nothing, okay? Again, just he hear me out. I'm never gonna ask a hard question, okay? Like, I don't know if I could answer it, okay? It's all, if it's, you're like, that sounds too obvious, that's the answer, okay? A dead person can do nothing, absolutely nothing. So why would the Bible say that we're dead in our sin? It's trying to help us understand that we can't do anything in our own effort to save ourselves. That because we've sinned against God and because He's holy, because He's perfect, because He's just, we can't earn our way back to Him because we've sinned. And so we are dead. We're helpless. We can't do anything to get back to God. That's what this passage is teaching. Okay. So the first test to know if Christ abides in you is that you've acknowledged that everything we just covered is true. Okay, this is hard. This is hard stuff. Okay, I promise you I'm about to get to the best news on planet earth okay but the only reason it's the best news on planet earth is because of what we just covered because there's really bad news and the really bad news is that we've sinned and we've sinned against god and we deserve death but if we haven't acknowledged that if we think that we're good people and that we're going to get into heaven just because we're good people the reality is we've all sinned and that makes us not good people yeah I'm, i might be better than matt right probably not but i might be i don't know we could talk about it later okay right but that's comparing myself to the wrong standard. Matt's not the standard of who gets into heaven or not, even though Matt's a great guy. God is the standard of who gets into heaven or not, and he's perfect and holy. Anybody remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? Someone tell me. What happened? Yeah. They were kicked out. That's exactly right. They were kicked out of the garden. Let me ask you this. Why? Anybody? That's right. God cannot fellowship with imperfect people because he's holy, because he's perfect. He cannot be in the presence of imperfect people. So he kicked them out of the garden. All they did was sin one time and they got kicked out of the garden. And me and you have sinned far more than one time, right? And so we deserve death. That's the first requirement. But there is great news and it's right here. Here's the second test. By faith, I've trusted in Christ alone for salvation and eternal life. By faith, I've trusted in Christ alone for salvation and eternal life. The good news is that even though, check this out, even though God would have been perfectly just and still good, 
to leave us dead in our sin because we rebelled against him. He loves us so much that he actually offers us a free gift of salvation. Check it out. Ephesians 2, stay there. Verse 4. But God, okay? I always was told this is the biggest but in the Bible, okay? Biggest but in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What is this saying? It's saying that even though we're dead in our sin by nature, even though every single one of us, even our beautiful little baby boy, Oliver, okay? He's a little sinner, all right? I know that. Come hang out with him for a little bit, okay? And so that's my, it's always my go-to when people are like, well, like, you know, like babies aren't, you know, they don't sin. It's like, have you ever met a baby, right? It's like, have you ever seen a two-year-old walk up to another two-year-old? So it's like if Oliver, he's not two yet, but he goes in the nursery, some kid brought a toy. Oliver, I have no doubt, she's gonna walk right over to grab it and yell, mine, take it away. One, it's not his, okay? Two, who in the world taught him that? I can promise you this, me and Alana aren't at home taking stuff out of each other's hands yelling mine, okay? He's never seen that before in his life. But it's because he has a sin nature because of the curse of sin. But God has offered us a solution and the solution is Jesus Christ. So how can we sinful human beings be made right with the holy God? Through Jesus is what verse four and five says. And what did Jesus do? He came to this earth He humbled himself, left heaven, came to this earth. He took on human flesh, and he was tempted in every single way that we were tempted. A passage that really helps me with this, because sometimes it's hard for me to like think like he was really tempted like we were. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan tempted Jesus, and he literally said, I'll give you the whole world. Okay, I don't know about you guys. I've never been offered that. Okay, I've never been offered, hey, just don't follow God, and you can have everything. Like the whole world, you can have it all. He was tempted in every single way, and maybe even more than we were. And yet the Bible says he did not sin. He perfectly obeyed the father and he fulfilled the requirements of the law that you and I could never fulfill. But instead of going to heaven, like he rightfully deserved, he went to the cross. And on that cross, he actually bore my sin. He bore your sin. He paid for it in full on the cross. The Bible says, yes, he was beaten. He was scourged. He had a, thrown, uh, a crown of thorns shoved into his head. Yes, that's horrible. I can't even imagine that. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was he actually experienced the full wrath of God, that he drank the cup of wrath is what the Bible says. And what he drank was my sin. He drank your guys' sin. He paid for it on our behalf. Why? Because he loves us. That doesn't make any sense to me, right? I don't, I don't know about you, but it's just like when I, if I, with, for Jack, just for our whole relationship, just spat in his face and just walked away. I'm not sure that I would lay down my life for him. Okay, actually, I know I wouldn't. Okay, let's just be honest, right? Or I don't know, that was backwards. He wouldn't lay his life down for me. I'm sure of that in that scenario. But God, in ways we can't understand because of his great love for us, died in our place. Literally took the penalty that we deserve. Look at verse eight in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. God offers us a completely free gift, okay? What makes a gift a gift is that it's free, okay? I know that sounds simple, right? But if I pay for a gift in any way, shape, or form, it's no longer a gift, it's a payment. 
right? And so he's saying in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus offers us a free gift. What does that mean? That means we can't earn it. That means we can't do anything for it. That means there's no amount of good deeds, there's no amount of uh, good works that we could say, here, Jesus, here's my good works, now will you let me in? No, we have to accept it as a gift, as a free gift, purely out of his love for us. But how do we do that? How do we accept a free gift of salvation that we can't see, we can't touch, it's not in this room? The Bible says what we need to do is repent and believe in the gospel, Mark 1.15. Mark 1.15, this is Jesus. He said, And saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To repent means to turn around. Um, it's an old military term. It literally means to do an about face, which means if I'm walking this way and I'm marching and there's a commander and he yelled repent, I would turn around and walk in the exact opposite direction. That's what the word repent means. And really it starts with, it, what it really means is to change your mind to change the way that you're thinking, to, to stop trusting in yourself and being a good enough person to get into heaven or stop believing that God's not real or stop believing that X, Y, and Z thing and to trust in the biblical gospel, which is that Christ came, died in our place and offers me a free gift of salvation that I could never earn. And that's the only way that I could get into heaven. That's what it means to repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel means good news. And the good news is that even though we were dead in our sin, Christ came and died in our place because he loves us and offers us a free gift of salvation that we do not deserve and could never earn, could never repay, but he offers it to us because he loves us. And when we accept that free gift, when we repent for the first time, when we surrender our life to Christ, what happens is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible says we become new creations in Christ. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're a new person. What that means is God takes out your heart that has been dead in sin and gives you the Holy Spirit. He actually comes and dwells inside of you. Christ literally abides in you through the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. If you've really repented and trusted in Christ, he dwells inside of you. So the second test for if Christ abides in you is that you've turned away from trusting in yourself for salvation. And by faith, you've trusted in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection on your behalf. The third test, third and final test, is that my life shows evidence of repentance and bearing fruit. My life shows evidence of repentance and bearing fruit. All right, we're done with Ephesians 2. Go back to John 15. Check out verse 8 with me. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay? Prove to be my disciples. He's not saying that you earn being a disciple, but he's saying that your life will show or reveal if you really are a disciple of Christ. We'll look at what it means to bear fruit here in a second. But really what I would try to get out here is this. There has to be evidence. There has to be some tangible fruit, some, some revealing of your life that shows that your repentance is really genuine and that Christ really abides in you. There is no such thing, doesn't exist, as a fruitless Christian. It's not possible. 
If you are a fruitless Christian, I love you with my whole heart. Christ probably doesn't abide in you, right? And we'll cover what it means to bear fruit in a little bit, okay? But there's no such thing because Jesus promises, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear fruit, right? That's a promise. So your life will begin to change. You will uh, begin to become more and more like Jesus after you become a Christian. That doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. I, I, I am the least perfect person in this entire room. I promise you I sin more than anybody in this whole room because I know myself, okay? I'm not perfect, but my life is progressively becoming more and more like Jesus Christ and less and less like the world, less and less going after sin, right? My life is showing that I'm bearing fruit and it's not me, we'll see that in a second, it's Christ. The question you can ask is what is your attitude towards sin? Are you okay with sin in your life? Do you tolerate it? Do you think it's not that bad? Or are you progressively, consistently trying to turn away from sin? and to run to Christ. Those are kind of some, some ways to know, how do I really know if there's evidence in my life? I really like this illustration. This really helped me, okay? Show of hands, who knows who LeBron James is? Okay, praise God, okay. Um, uh, I, so he's not the greatest basketball player of all time. You can fight me later, Michael Jordan is. Um, but I didn't know if everyone would know who Michael, does everybody know who Michael Jordan is, raise your hand. Okay, well, just, all right, I just don't know. All right. Um, so imagine for a second, if we could take the spirit, the desires, the will, the drive, the ambitions, the thoughts of LeBron James, take them out of his body and put them inside of me, Aaron, okay? That'd be sick, all right? So if that happened, okay, what do you think would change about my life? I want answers. Okay, I would probably play a lot more basketball. Absolutely, what else? My time would change, right? I could promise you this. I wouldn't be here. I can't imagine this is what he's doing right now. Okay, what else? Probably not more prideful. Yeah, probably true, right? Well, I don't know. I'm pretty prideful, but we'll see. Um, yeah, but probably. You're right, okay? Uh, LeBron James, he loves Taco Tuesday, okay? I'd probably love Taco Tuesday, right? I'd probably really care that my son, Brony, is trying to get into the NBA, but he sucks, okay? But he's just capitalizing on his dad's name, all right? right? But I would really care about that. Okay, I'd really care about that, okay? When LeBron James' spirit comes inside of me, what would go away would be Aaron's old desires, wants, wills, and it would be replaced, replaced with LeBron James's desires, and then it would be evident in the way that I began to spend my time, how I conducted myself, what I did with my life, what I cared about. And in the same way, if Christ really abides in you, if the Holy Spirit really abides in you, your life will change. Your desires, again, not instantaneously, not perfectly, but your desires will begin to shift from wanting to live for yourself, live for what you used to live for, to wanting to live for Jesus, to become more like Jesus, to care about the things that Jesus cares about, and to care less and less about the things that I care about and the things that the world cares about. Why? Because I literally have this Holy Spirit living inside of me if Christ really abides in me, and my desires will change, okay? So to review the three tests, how do I know if Christ abides in me? I've acknowledged that I've sinned against God and deserve death. By faith, I've trusted in Christ alone for salvation and eternal life. And my life shows evidence of repentance and bearing fruit. Does Christ really abide in you? Okay, this is literally the most important question you could ever ask. Same thing with Nicodemus. How do I, how do I get into heaven? Is essentially the question, right? It's the most important question you can ask. And if anyone in this room isn't sure, please, 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 please talk to me. Please talk to my wife. We would love to talk to you about that. 
But if you do think, man, I, I do think Christ abides in me, not in a prideful way, but just I think these things are true in my life and Christ has changed me and I see what he's done for me on the cross and I'm trying to live for him now as a free gift, right? Then what we are to do as believers is we are to now abide back in him. Okay, so that's my second. Here, That was the first requirement, okay? First requirement to grow spiritually is to that Christ has to abide in me. The second requirement is this. I must abide in Christ, okay? Here's the cool thing. Jesus said this, not me, okay? This is really simple, right? He just lays it out there. This is it, right? Christ has to abide in me, and I have to abide in Christ. Look back at verse 4 and 5 again with me. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. We'll stop there, okay? It's very possible as believers to have seasons of our lives where we're, we're not doing a good job of abiding in Christ. Let's just be honest, okay? It's very possible to have seasons of your life where you're not doing a good job of abiding in Christ, but Christ really does abide in you. And so what we're going to look at is what happens if we don't abide in Christ as believers, and then we'll look at what does happen if we do abide in Christ as believers. But first, what happens if we don't? What I just read in verse 4 it says the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, okay? I know nothing about gardening whatsoever, okay? But I understand the vine and the branches because I had to research it, okay? The vine, right? I mean, you think I'm kidding. I really had to research it. Like, I didn't know, okay? The vine is the life source, correct? Right? Is the branch the life source? No, the vine is the, the life source, okay? The branch cannot produce anything by itself. It just can't. The vine is the one that produces fruit. The, the vine is the one that causes the branch to grow and flourish. The, brine, the branch is just a branch. It's just chilling, okay? It just holds the fruit, right? I don't really know what a branch does. It's not an animate thing, okay? Right? But the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And Jesus is saying, neither can we spiritually. It is not possible, not possible to grow spiritually apart from abiding in Christ. It's not possible is what Jesus is saying. Just as impossible it would be to cut off a branch from a tree and expect that that branch is going to keep growing. That's how impossible it is for us to abide, or grow spiritually if we're not abiding in Christ. If we look at verse 5, what does Jesus say we can accomplish apart from him in verse 5? Someone tell me. Nothing, okay? Are you sure he doesn't say we can't accomplish most things or some things? Or a few things. Oh, it says we can't accomplish anything. Oh, it says nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears my truth. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is not saying here that you can't physically do anything. Okay? We know that's true because there's all sorts of people all over the world that don't believe in Christ and they do things. Okay? That's not what he's saying. He's talking about spiritually. He's talking about we can't grow. We can't accomplish anything worthwhile. We can't accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. We can't grow spiritually apart from abiding in Jesus. There is nothing of spiritual, eternal, and lasting value that we can accomplish in our own effort and strength. This was really humbling for me. I, I heard this on one, a summer project like this that I was on way back in 2015. But some of the most famous people in world history usually get forgotten at some point right? Usually. Now there's some people, right? There's some people that have made it for, you know, since the beginning of time, but there's very few. You could accomplish, you could be a billionaire and there's a good chance that people won't remember you three generations from now. The way we know that is, 
Does anybody in here know their great-great-grandpa's name? I don't, right? It's like, I don't even know if I had a great-great-grandpa. I'm just kidding. That's, I would have to, okay? Right? <laughs> but I definitely don't know his name. I don't know what he did. I don't know. I don't, he could have been a billionaire. I have no idea. If, if he was, I don't know why he didn't pass down some money, right? But I have no idea, right? We'll all be forgotten. But if we want our lives to count, if we want our lives to make a difference for all of eternity, we have to abide in Jesus because it's saying we can do nothing apart from him, nothing apart from Christ. On the other hand, let's look at the positive side. So what can we do if we abide in Christ or what will happen if we abide in Christ? It says we will bear fruit. Okay, it actually says we'll bear much fruit. So naturally, here it is. What's the question? What does it mean to bear fruit? Okay, um, a lot of people are kind of all over the place with this. I think my best interpretation of what he means by bearing fruit is he's referring to the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, so in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, I'll read it. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Okay. Now, when I first became a Christian and I read this, I was hoping for something a little more exciting. Okay, I'll just be honest, right? But think about it. Who doesn't want joy? I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone on the planet that's like, yeah, I just don't want to be happy. Like, I just don't want to be joy. I just want to be miserable. That's what I want with my life, okay? And you've probably met some people like that, but they don't really want that, okay? They've just given in, right? They, everyone wants joy. What about to have peace? to not be rattled by life circumstances, just to be content and happy no matter what goes on in your life. Who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want to be known as someone who's kind? Who wants to be known as the guy that's always rude to everybody, right? Who, who doesn't want to have self-control and to be faithful and to be good and to be gentle? Jesus clearly says that apart from me, you actually really can't do any of those things. It's not saying that you can't, okay, all the time or sometimes, but it's not lasting and it's not really real, okay? Alana's dad is one of the nicest people I know on planet Earth. He's not a believer, okay? But his source, where he's getting that from is just his own motivation to wanna do that. If tomorrow he decided to change, he just would. But if we're in Christ and we're abiding in him, God will produce these things in us. I can tell you this, I was talking with Alana not that long ago, because I was looking at the fruits of the Spirit, and I was like, man, I feel like I still struggle with a lot of these things. Like, am I even a Christian? Like, I have this, we just talk about things like this, okay? That'd be a problem. We figured out I was. And so, <laughs> as I was going through this, though, I was like, man, like, when I first came to Christ, it is night and day difference how much more loving I am than when I first came to Christ. It is night and day difference how much more joyful I am, how much more peace I have, how much more patient and kind I am, right? It's like, I mean, every other word out of my mouth was a cuss word when I came to Christ, right? Like I never read a Bible. Like I was constantly talking bad about people. I had no lasting joy. I was living for the things of this world. And God has progressively borne fruit in my life. So it's not saying you're going to be perfect. It's not saying you're going to have all of these things instantaneously, but God will begin to grow you in these things. And that's an evidence that Christ really does abide in you but you also have to abide in him. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about what the heck does that mean? How do we do that? How do we abide in Christ? Okay, I don't really understand how Christ abides in us either. He just does it. He just comes inside of us and then he just starts changing stuff. Okay, right? But how do we abide in Christ is the question. Verse 10 of John 15. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept um, my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Okay, so two things. Two things of how we abide in Christ. We abide in His love and we obey His commandments. How do we abide in Christ? How do we grow spiritually? We abide in His love and we obey His commandments. Okay? What does it mean to abide in His love? Okay? Abide means, again, to make my home in. So how do I abide in the love of God? I make my home there. I constantly remind myself of the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for me. I constantly remind myself and pray and thank God that He would save a sinner like me. I'm constantly around people. I'm constantly around believers who are reminding me of the good news of the gospel, that God loves me so much that he sent Jesus to die for me. That's how you abide in Christ. You remind yourself as constantly as you can of the love of God shown to you in Christ. And then you trust him. But let's look at verse 9. I actually, I don't want to skip this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible constantly gets skipped over, literally should blow your mind. Okay, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, Jesus just said, as the Father has loved me. So would anybody like be like, yeah, it's probably a lot, right? How much God the Father loves Jesus Christ, right? You all on board with that, how much he loves him? Okay, then he says, so have I also loved you. What? The same way that God the Father loves Jesus Christ is the way that Jesus loves me? Does he know me? Right? Like, has he seen my sin? The answer is he has, but he paid for it on the cross. What ridiculous love that God would love me that much. It's like, yeah, like, love me like a little. That would make sense. Like, and still probably not, right? But as much as the Father loves the Son, that's ridiculous. And that's, how, that's what we need to remind ourselves of and constantly focus on. But secondly, we need to keep His commandments. We abide in Jesus by trusting Him and obeying Him in our daily lives and trusting that as we do that, He will bear fruit in us. That, that He will produce joy and peace and love and patience in our life as we trust Him and obey Him in our lives. Let me give you four really practical ways that you can do this, okay? And we're gonna cover this more after the, the potty break, okay? Uh, in, on the whiteboard uh, with a little diagram, okay? But just, I'm gonna, so we're not gonna go too in detail is the point here. First one is this, get in the word. Get in the word. Verse seven of John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, do, are you hearing from Christ? Are you going to the Word? God has literally given us a love letter. He's literally given us everything that we need to know this side of eternity here in this book, and He wrote it to us for our benefit, so that way we would grow. Get in the Word. Study the Word. That's how you abide in Christ. Secondly, pray. That's how we talk to Him. Let Him know your heart. Ask Him to change you and to grow you and to, and to help you throughout life and your friends. Third, fellowship with believers fellowship with believers. Get around people who are going to point you to the good news of the gospel, who care not just about LeBron James and where his son is going to play basketball in college, okay? I don't know where he's going to go play. Again, I think he's just riding his dad's coattail. Uh, but get around believers. 
Get around believers. Abide in the love. Fourthly, share the gospel with unbelievers. Right, this might sound a little weird. How in the world do I abide in Christ by sharing the gospel with un unbelievers? We're going to cover this this summer. But I would imagine that for a lot of you in this room, and this is okay, my first summer project, I was in the same spot. When the idea of I'm going to go talk to someone about Jesus Christ who doesn't want to hear it, that might sound like the most terrifying thing to you on planet Earth, okay? And that was me all the way back in 2015. But I can promise you this. Some of the most joyful, fulfilling times of my life have been when I'm sharing the gospel with people. When me and Austin do a Bible study with the baseball team at UIS, I leave that thing every single week just joyful. I don't even know what happens, right? We're just there leading the Bible study, talking about the word, we leave. But it's like, man, I just got to share the gospel with these guys. There's just something about it. It's just like, man, this is what I was created for. This is why we're here. God designed us to do this, to be his messengers, to be his ambassadors. And it helps us to love him and abide in him. So those are the four quick things. And so then ultimately, real quick, what does this produce in your life? What happens if you abide in Christ? Check out verse 11. I just said verse 9 is one of my favorite. You'll hear that from me a lot. I have a lot of, this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Verse 11 is up there. These things I have spoken to you. That's one of my favorite phases, uh, phrases in the Bible. Phases. Phrases. Here's why. He literally tells us why he just wrote it. Sometimes we're always like, oh, what the heck does this mean? He tells us right here. These things I have spoken to you. Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christ offers us abundant joy. Psalm 1611, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says this. See? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's the point? God is the source of joy. Sin, the world, is just deceiving you, is what the Bible says. It promises joy, but it can't fulfill it. God is the source of joy. And that's what everyone's after at the end of the day. What does everyone want in life? They want to be happy. They want to have joy. And Christ, God is saying the way to have joy is by abiding in me, by coming to me, the fountain of living water, for to abide in. The key to doing this is consistency, not quality or quantity. We, we, we want to be consistent, trying to grow in our relationship with God, trying to abide in Christ. Here's an illustration that really helped me. Imagine for a second with me that I decided that for the rest of my life, here's my plan for food. On Sunday mornings, I'm going to go to Golden Corral, okay? And I'm going to measure out how many calories I need for the week. And I'm going to eat all of the food I need for the entire week Sunday morning, okay? A couple people nodded their head yes. I don't know what's wrong with you, okay? How do you think that would go? Pretty... The guy in the back said, great. I want you to go try that and see what happens. It would be horrible, okay? You'd probably throw up multiple times while you're trying to get all your food down, okay? Um, and then even if you got it all down, right, when do you think you would be hungry again, even if you did that? Probably that night. Let's just be straight up honest, right? Or maybe not that night, but the next day or Tuesday. You think you'd make it till next Sunday without being hungry? There's no way. You go do it, right? There's no way, right? It doesn't work like that. That's not how food works. And food is our earthly way that we live. And spiritually, the way that we live is abiding in Christ. 
It's not enough just to come to church on Sunday and expect that we're going to grow spiritually. It's not enough just to read our Bible once a week for eight hours and hope that that's going to make it through the whole week. No, we need to consistently be abiding with Jesus. I'm not talking about anything crazy. This is why we have the binder. There's devotional material. Most of those, the stuff in there is like one or two verses a day. It's just being consistent, eating, so that way it can nourish you. Our pastor, Pastor Gary, a few sermons ago, said something really insightful. He said, you do not remember every single meal you've ever ate. Okay? Really insightful. Okay? I mean, we've eaten thousands of meals. And you only remember like a handful of them, the ones that are just like extra good, you know, like Darcy's or something like that. Okay? You remember every time. Right? But most of the meals you just forget. But those meals have sustained you, they've grown you, and they've caused you to get to where you are today and have given you life. Same thing is true with abiding in Christ. Just because you abide with Him in the Lord doesn't mean there's going to be instant growth, instant change, like noticeable. But I promise you, you'll look back 10 years from now and be like, wow, I can't believe how much Christ has grown me as I've consistently been abiding in Him. And so kind of in way of conclusion, um, abiding with Jesus it really is essential to life. I hope you see that. There have been seasons in my life where I haven't, as a believer, since I've come to Christ, where I haven't abided well with Christ. And in those seasons, if I'm being honest with you, that's where I experienced a lot of sadness, a lot of anxiety. I went back to some sin. I was depressed. I was empty because I wasn't abiding with Christ. But then I can look back on season of my life where I did abide with Christ consistently. I think back to my very first summer project just like this, but it was in Tampa, Florida. Sorry, we're not in Florida right now, okay? But it was in Tampa, Florida. And that summer, for the first time in my life, I abided with Jesus more consistently than I ever had. And I just grew like a weed in my backyard, okay? Our weed is like half backyard, or my backyard is half weed, okay? But I grew just tremendously, just tremendously that summer. And I didn't do anything crazy. I really didn't. I just got up and read a tiny little devotional, just like in this binder every day. I put myself around other Christians. I spent time actually praying every day. Again, I'm talking like five, ten minutes in the morning. And God changed me and grew me tremendously. And so I would encourage you this summer to abide in Christ. My prayer is that all of us this summer would make a priority. What would it look like? What would your life look like? What would my life look like? What? I gotta stop talking soon. What would my life look like if I really did consistently abide with Jesus this summer? I can promise you it'll look different and it'll look a lot more like the fruits of the Spirit. Thank you for listening to the Building Laborers podcast. If this content has blessed you in any way, please like, follow, and leave a review on whatever platform you listen on.